I just want to continue this morning in the spirit of prayer and worship, so would you join me as we pray? Father God, we just do worship you, and we worship your holy name. And Father God, this morning, we want to begin by just recognizing that you are God, and we aren't. And God, I pray for each person who walked in here today, as Cynthia has already prayed, God, that no matter where they are, no matter where we are, in our lives, in our week, even in our day so far. God, I pray that you would make yourself known to each one of us in a very real and personal way this morning. May your Holy Spirit be in this place. May your Holy Spirit pierce our hearts, search our lives. And God, I pray that we would not leave here the same people we walked in not because of anything that I said or that the team just sung, God, but because you are moving in the life of the people in this room. God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to do a work today like no, none other in the lives of some of the people who are gathered here. And God, may you be pleased, may you be glorified, may you be lifted. Go before us, Father. I pray that you would open your word to us in a very real and powerful way this morning. May the words jump off the page. God, may we be able to apply them to our lives. God, may it not just be an intellectual study, but God, may it draw us closer to you and to the heart of who you are. And I pray this all in the matchless, the mighty, the strong Name of Jesus, the name above all names. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well this morning. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm so glad that you are here uh, with us this morning as we continue in our series called He Will Come and Save. I don't know about you. I've personally enjoyed this series uh, a ton as we are walking through the story of God and his people from the Old Testament and uh, we're going to be there once again today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Exodus. You can turn to the book of Exodus. I've made the mistake several times in my study by just making the mistake of, of going to Genesis 2 instead of Exodus 2 in my study. And wow, it's quite different when you do that. It was a little shocking. Like, what? Wait, what's going on here? Oh, wait, I have the wrong book. So anyway, uh, so Exodus, second book of the Bible, uh, chapter 2, 1 and 2, we're going to be in today. Um, and if you uh, came in today, obviously you got your notes in your hand, but if you'd rather, you can get on your device and download our app. The notes are found there as well, and you can follow along uh, in your Bibles, or you can uh, view the screens. Just as a way of review, wanted to just kind of bring you up to speed for those of you who maybe haven't been there, or if you're like me, a week has gone by and you've forgotten nearly everything about the last week uh, with the busyness and craziness of, of life uh, that life brings. And so just want to bring you up to speed. Uh, two important things about our title that we discovered over these past two weeks. He Will Come and Save is an interesting title because contained within that title, contained within just the message itself or the, or the title of these, uh, this message series itself, is contained two very, very important things uh, when we're talking about God and man. We're talking about God and his people. Two very important things. The first is, is that there is something that he is saving us from, correct? Uh, like implied in the title itself 
is that there's a reason for salvation. And that reason is contained all the way back in Genesis 1 and 2 when God created the heaven and the earth and he created man and man immediately rebelled and disobeyed God. And because of that, that original sin, because of that, you and I have that sin nature in us. Romans 8 talks about the fact that there's no one who is without sin. And so we all have sin. And that sin separates us from God. And that's the centerpiece of this message series. That's the centerpiece of any time you talk about the God and man story. You almost have to begin with that each and every time, that there's a perfect God and that there is a flawed, sinful, failed mankind, humanity. And so that's the problem. He will come and save. That's the problem. So you have the problem, but you also have implied in that uh, message title, you have the promise. There's, there's in contained in there, implied in there, and actually specified in there that he will come and save. And so there's this idea of a hope or a promise, something in the future that's going to resolve the problem that we find ourselves in. And so we have this kind of contrast, as we talked about last week, this tension between the problem and the promise. And, and that kind of sets the stage for the whole story of God and man. And the way the story of God and man is played out is, is in several different parts. We, we're going to be taking a look, or we have been taking a look at uh, really the first part of that story, the relationship be, between God and the Jewish people, which is how it all began all the way back in the Bible, all the way back at the beginning, because just a, a couple of generations past Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden there, the original uh, man and woman, uh, we see God establishing a relationship with his people, the Jewish people, and that's highlighted in several covenants or promises. You can call them promises with God and man. There's one between God and Noah. There's one between God and Abraham. That's the one we're kind of uh, springboarding off of between God and Moses, between God and David. And then we have the new covenant, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. It's between God and us. And so, so far, we've walked through the series kind of hitting highlights along the way. This isn't a character study. It's, it's really not an in-depth theological study, although we are getting a broad overview of, of doctrine and theology um, in this study. But this is truly, um, as we head towards Easter, as we head towards uh, the beginning of the end of the story, as we head towards God coming and saving mankind through his son, Jesus Christ, this is a survey of the story all the way back in the Old Testament between God and the Jewish people. And so we began uh, with Abraham, who lived in a place called Ur, and God called him out of Ur. Wouldn't that be great? Like, you know, we all say I'm from Hilton Head or Bluffton or Atlanta or Charlotte. Like, I'm from Ur. Man, that's a cool name. So anyway, so he, got, he calls Abraham out of this place called Ur, and he sends him on this long journey through the Middle East. Ur was uh, kind of like uh, near, near Kuwait or Baghdad area, and he draws him all the way around uh, the, the, what we know as the Middle East today, and then down towards the Promised Land. And for a number of years, he and his people, uh, which didn't amount to, to too much, um, they, they just kind of wander. And this was after God gave him a promise, and it was a multiple-fold promise. God had promised Abraham, it was a conditional promise based on his obedience to go and to travel into the unknown, but he promised to make him into a great nation, to make his name great. And he, and he told Abraham that all people will be blessed by him and he uh, will uh, be blessed himself, his people will be blessed. And so, so far you have this 
wandering of, of a group of people um, out into the unknown, and Abraham goes and he walks in obedience into the unknown. And so we began with week one, kind of our, our topic was uh, following God in the unknown. Uh, and, and, and God makes a promise to Abraham and he follows on that promise. But you get far into the story and you kind of think to yourself, my goodness, uh, Abraham did his part, but so far God has not done his part. And, and we find ourselves with this group of people that's just wandering out there near the promised land, kind of around the promised land, but nothing is really happening. And so Abraham dies, and he has a son by the name of Isaac, and that's a, an amazing story. And we fast-forward into week two. We talked about Jacob, uh, uh, his son Jacob, Isaac's son Jacob, and how that promise was passed from Abraham to Isaac and now to Jacob. And we come to Jacob, and Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. He's the father of the 12 sons of Israel. And one of those sons is a man by the name of Joseph, and Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Um, they had a wonderful relationship, um, and so much so that he got sold into slavery in Egypt. And so God tells Jacob, once he realizes that Joseph actually didn't die and he was actually in a high position in the kingdom of Egypt, God tells Jacob to take his people and to go into Egypt. And, and the, the idea, kind of the subject matter that we talked about there was following God, not into the unknown now, but in a place where you know that fear exists. Because for the Jewish people, uh, Egypt was one of the most fearful places that you could possibly ever imagine. And we all have fear, and we talked about last week how uh, God's promises mean that we can rely on him and his promises to alleviate that fear. And we all have fear, don't we? I, I shared the story last week of my mother who very, um, very rapidly over the past few months, um, we realized that her cancer from 12 years past is back and that it's metastasized and she only has six months or less to live at 68. And we just found this out and it was so fearful in the beginning. Um, but God is beginning to alleviate that fear. I talked to my dad and sister last night and he's beginning to alleviate that fear even though her conditions get worse. And so we talked about fear and, and following God into the unknown but then into the place that we know is fearful and is dangerous. And we're doing this to set the stage for the Easter story, because, and, and I want you to capture this, because this is the big picture here um, today, so please don't miss this part. Um, this story of God and the Jewish people is a forebearer. It's a picture in advance of his relationship with you and me, you see. It's a, it's a picture of what he is going to do with all of humanity for the rest of time. And, and so that's why it's important for you and me. So, so the salvation of the Jewish people, which I promise it seems like maybe these weeks, like we're talking about unknown and fear, and today we're talking about darkness. We're, we're at the bottom of the barrel today, I promise you. Some of you are going to be leave, leaving like, oh, my goodness, I'm not going to church ever again, okay? I promise you next week is going to be fun, okay? I promise you that, okay? So hang in there and come back next week. You have to hear, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. And if you're under, like, 25, you have no idea who Paul Harvey was, but I do. And most of you do, right? Right? Moms and dads and grandparents. Okay, anyway. So you'll hear the rest of the story next week. But we are setting the table for us as a church 
to celebrate Easter and the week of Easter on Wednesday, April 1st, we are going to gather here to have a Seder supper. We're actually going to partake together and a representative for the Jews for Jesus is going to be here and he's going to be leading us through that celebration, that time of remembering that happened during Passover that the Jews remembered that God delivered them from the bondage of the Egyptians. And so we're going to do that together, and we're doing this series so that when we do that as a church, it all makes sense. And by the way, when you're done today, Cynthia will mention this at the end, but you can sign up for that Seder Supper, and uh, some of you will get an email and a phone call this coming week to talk about hosting those tables. At the back there, Jackie's back there, you can go sign up to, to be a part of that. It's going to be a minimal cost on that, and so um, please make sure that you make plans to do that, even as a family, 6 to 8 o'clock. Uh, we're going to be celebrating that together, because what I want you to hear and what I want you to see is that that story then connects to our story now. Listen, it connects to your story, each one of you, whether you've accepted Christ as your Savior or not. That story then has huge huge implication to our story now. And, and that's the story of God. And man, that's the story of God coming and saving his people. When I was uh, 10 years old, um, I, we were living in, I, I was living in Clearwater, Florida, um, and uh, we were down at my grandparents. They live in Tarpon Springs, and we were there spending the night. We lived about 45 minutes away, so sometimes if my dad was traveling like on a Friday night, we would go spend the night at my grandparents, and, and they lived about 45 minutes away. And I remember one uh, weekend that um, my dad was going to join us there after his business trip was over. He drove uh, back to their house, and we spent a lot of time there. And while we were there that night um, in Florida, um, um, a, a hurricane formed out of nowhere in the Gulf of Mexico. And it kind of came by Tampa and clipped Tampa. And, and I remember it was just the storm out in the Gulf, and then it was a tropical storm. And then all of a sudden, it was a hurricane. And um, we actually were on my grandparents' house was on the Anclote River, which is in Tarpon Springs. And it feeds into the intercoastal waterways of that, uh, you know, kind of that western shore there on the Gulf of Mexico of Florida. And, and they lived in a place where there was a, a, it was low-lying. And so when it rained really hard, sometimes... Um, where they lived became an island, <laughs> and um, that happened while we were there. And so we ended up getting stuck there for a few days, and the hurricane passed, and we were fine. I mean, there was some damage and, and that kind of thing to the trees. But the thing that I remember, and we ended up riding out, that kind of started my dad, had this like vibrato, you know, like, hey, we rode out one hurricane, we can ride him out all now, you know. And so that's kind of his mentality to this, which my mom just absolutely hates. And so, but it kind of started that thought process when we lived in Florida when I was, when I was growing up. But, but I remember that um, those couple days because we kind of, you know, hunkered down. Isn't that funny? You always use that word, hunkered down. I um, mean, yeah, we kind of hunkered down. And my mom, I remember, saved water. Like, she filled buckets up with water and stuff like that. And um, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if we'd be stuck there a week or a few days. And it ended up being just a few days. And I remember the wind came and the rain came and there was thunder and lightning. And the, the big pine trees were, were creaking. And um, I, I remember being a little bit afraid, um, but the thing that was most fearful to me was for about a 30-minute period of time as that hurricane came on shore, in the middle of the day, the skies got pitch black. I mean, it was dark. You could hardly even see, and it was in the middle of the day. 
Have you ever experienced anything like that? Have you ever seen that? I mean, we, you know, we don't hardly mention the H word around here on Hilton Head. You know, we don't talk about the word hurricane at all around here. I probably will get kicked off the island for even speaking of it today. But when it comes, sometimes with it comes these dark, ominous clouds. And, and I remember that was like the weirdest scene of my life. And I have this like memory burn of of that day of it being so incredibly dark in the middle of the day. Like it's supposed to be light, but it's dark. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's supposed to be, it's the middle of the day. It's not supposed to be nighttime, but for some reason right now, it looks like it's nighttime. And I realized that some of you walked in here, and that's a picture of your life right now. It's supposed to be sunny and bright. The sun's supposed to be shining but it's dark as night out. You may go, be going through what my family's going through right now. You may, be, you may have a loved one um, who's going through a health issue, a severe health issue, and you're worried about him. Worry's overtaking you. You yourself may be going through a health issue, and man, it's just eating you alive. You may be going through a relationship issue. You may be going through some kind of emotional issue that you just can't seem to get over. Or maybe um, students, you're going through something in school that has just absolutely just rocked your world. And the sky, even though it's supposed to be light, is incredibly dark. That's where the nation of Israel was in the story that we're looking at today. Take a look with me if you have your Bibles, uh, as I mentioned. Uh, you, you, can, you can turn into in Exodus chapter 1. We're going to be in 8 through 14 and then 22 through 25 today as we look at this story as we continue. Now, last week, Jacob and 70 people walked into Egypt, and here's where we left things off last week. We left things off with the nation of Israel realizing that God's promises are already beginning to, to happen because they came in 70 and, and Exodus 1 verse 7 says they multiplied and they were everywhere. And, and I told you the end of the story that 430 years later when they walked out of Egypt, there were 2.5 million of them. That happened quick, let me tell you. They were having kids all over the place. These Israelites were, those Jewish people were. And so they were there in Egypt, and God's promise to make Abraham into a great nation, you kind of got this glimmer of hope that this was going to happen. And so Egypt was this place where, where Joseph brought his, his father and his other brothers, and now their family who totaled 70 people, roughly 70 people. He brought them to a place called Goshen, and it was a great place. Like, this was supposed to be the best place. In fact... If, if I was a member of the Jewish family and I knew the promise that God had made to Abraham, I would have thought that Egypt might have been the promised land. Because where they settled in Goshen was like great soil to farm with. It was a great uh, environment to, to raise cattle and livestock. And they were there and everything was great. And then something changed. Take a look at Exodus 1, 8 through 14. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many, and they are too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. I would add even more because they had already multiplied. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. 
Verse 11, take a look at verse 11. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were opposed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread. Listen to that fear on behalf of the enemies of God's people. They were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as what? What is that next word? Slaves. And they made, the, and they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Now, I'm going to blitz through point number one and two fairly quickly because I want to settle on point number three. So take a look at your notes this morning. Point number one, first of all, Egypt went from a place of safety and security to a place of destruction and despair for the Israelites. Egypt, this place that like, looked like the promised land, looked amazing, seemed like it should be a place where they would thrive for generation after generation after generation, it quickly became a place of destruction and despair for the Israelites. The same thing often happens to us if we take what God has given us and abuse it. See, what happened to the nation of Israel is they moved into this place that was perfect for them. It was perfect living conditions, and they lived off the land. They trusted God, but then all of a sudden, they became reliant not on God anymore, but on the land and the economy <laughs> and the government and the king called Pharaoh. They became reliant on that and not God, and that's what happens to you and I when we stop relying on God to meet every need that we have and we begin to rely on other things to make us happy. See, this is the path to addiction. This is the path to addiction. We begin to use things for life enhancement. That's fine. But then we begin to rely on things for abundance in our lives. And then we go down a slippery slope and we begin to abuse those same things for pleasure, and then all of a sudden, we're addicted to that thing, and instead of us controlling it, it controls us. And it happens with the obvious things like drugs and alcohol, but I got to tell you, in our culture, some of the less obvious things are things like material wealth, money, lifestyle, even worry can be something that we can be addicted to. And that thing that brought us comfort then all of a sudden controls us, and here's your principle this morning. What once satisfies us, or once, what, what once satisfied us can afflict us when it becomes our source of comfort and reliance. This is bondage. This is bondage. And as we see this nation of Israel, everything looked good with Jacob, and now all of a sudden, things are horrible. It is the darkest of days. The storm clouds are blocking the sun, and it is night. And they are in bondage to this place that once brought them safety and security. Before they moved into Egypt, there had been a famine. They moved into Egypt, and they were relieved. And all of a sudden, that place that brought them relief is now their place of bondage. How do you know when you're in bondage to something? Well, I think the litmus test for that is when you rely on it more than you rely on God. When you rely on it more than you rely on God, 
be aware, you're definitely heading towards a slippery slope that leads to addiction and bondage. So there was the Israelites' part, but Egypt had become a cruel place for them based on probably some of the things they did, but based on a few other things. Take a look at point number two. The Israelites' bondage was harsh, it was excessive, it was cruel, and it resulted in an unbearable, desperate, and exhausting life. Reread verses 13 and 14 again with me. So they were ruthlessly, that, that word ruthless, ruthless literally means excessive violence. This was bad stuff that was happening. They ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. And they made their lives, what is that next word? Bitter and hard in service. The word bitter literally means angry. Someone else did something to them to make them angry. Have you ever been there before? Someone else did something to you and it made you angry angry. That was what was going on with the Israelites. And when we come together that night on Wednesday, April the 1st, and we're eating that Seder supper, that time of remembrance, there's one item on that table, at least one item on that table, that will remind us of the bitterness that the Israelites faced, the difficulty they faced they made their lives bitter. Hard service, that word hard, literally means exhausted. You can see that they were, they were painfully exhausted. Their whole lives were exhausted. And there they are in this place. They're essentially being abused. And the thing that held them together was they remembered the promises of God. It wasn't easy, but they remembered the promises of God. But if you remember in week one, there was one promise that I didn't mention earlier when I was doing the review. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. One of the promises that God made to Abraham is that his people would suffer. Do you remember that? There was a suffering component to the promise. And that leads us to point number three. Take a look. Excuse me. I forgot the principle. The principle is this. God does not promise to protect us from hardship in this life. And that's suffering. God does not promise to protect us from hardship in this life. You and I will face suffering. We will face bondage and we will face suffering. But I want to lead you to the third point. I want to lead you to the third point because it sets the table for next week. At Israel's highest point of suffering and desperation, they appealed to God and he sympathized with their situation. Check out Exodus 2, 23 and 25 through 25. I love this. This is amazing. Let me tell you, some, some of you today walked in here absolutely in shambles, and you will hang on to these two or three verses over these next few weeks or months. Take a look at this. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God, what's that next word? Heard their groaning, and God, what's that next word? Remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And look at verse 25. This is my favorite verse in the whole story. And God, what's that next word? Saw the people. And what's that next phrase? And God knew. God knew. 
I love that. The, the word groaning there, I, I, I love this. The word groaning literally means an expression of pain that is so deep and, and so, so harsh that, it, that it, it, you, you almost can't utter it, as I'm not able to utter the words right now. You almost can't even articulate what you're trying to say. It's so deep from within. The, the word cry is, literally means what we think it is. It's to exclaim or express with intensity. I want you to hear something today. For those of you who are weary and you have been beat up in life, it is okay, listen to this, it is okay to groan and cry out to God. Give yourself the freedom to do that in your pain and your suffering. I've had to do that lately with my mom in the situation we're going through. It is okay to groan and to cry out to God because we know the next part of the story, and that is, is that God heard them, he remembered them, he saw them, and this is the best part, and he knew. I love the ESV and how it's translated there because it kind of leaves you with, like, God knew. And I don't know about you, when I read that, I get the impression that, like, God knew the whole thing. That's awesome, isn't it? Like, he knew the whole thing. He knew. The word know or knew in this case, in the old Hebrew language, it literally means to perceive with thought or to perceive mentally. God knew what they were going through. And one of the questions that I want to ask, and I'm sure some of you are asking it, is why didn't he remove them then? Why didn't he pluck them out of that suffering? Because that wasn't his plan. It wasn't part of his story for them. We don't know exactly why. Maybe it's because he wanted them to learn a few things about him and their relationship with him along the way. Maybe they, they needed to understand the big picture a little bit more. But God knew. And I want you to hear this today. As much as it's okay for you to cry and to groan out to God, it is okay for God not to relieve your current suffering. Happy Sunday to you. <laughs> Isn't that nice? But I got to tell you, with what we're going through as a family, I probably understand this better now than at any other time in my life. It is okay for us to cry out and to groan to God because he knows, but it is also okay that he doesn't now relieve your suffering. He's not going to solve the problem for you in the moment, but he sympathizes with you. Listen, he sympathizes with you better than anyone else can. He sympathizes with your suffering because you know what he did on the cross? He suffered. He suffered in a remarkable way. Hebrews 4.15 says this, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He sympathizes with us. He understands. Listen, he knows your situation. Here's the principle. When we experience pain, suffering, and desperation, we can be confident that when we cry out to God, he will sympathize with our pain. And you know what that does for us, even though we may not relieve the pain right away in that moment? It brings us hope. It brings us hope. 
You see, we can go from place to bondage. Yes, there's going to be suffering, but there's also hope because God knows. The next time you're going through suffering, remember that God knows. Remember, remember the next time that you are going through a situation that you want God to relieve you from and he hasn't done it yet, that he knows. And here's the bottom line this morning. God may not relieve our suffering in, in this moment, but his compassion gives us hope that he will save us in the next. He may not relieve our suffering in this moment, but his compassion gives us hope that he will save us in the next moment. I want you to pray with me because I would imagine there are probably more than just a few of you that are suffering right now in some way, at some level to some depth. And I want you to realize that you have a God that you can count on. And while he may not relieve that now, there's hope for the future. Because he is there for those who are weak. Father God, thank you so much for this message of hope. God, this is the darkest day. And I want to pray for those who are here right now, who are in this room. And those storm clouds are dark as night. And right now in their life, they're supposed to see the sun, but they don't. And God, I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus that you would give those who are in here today who are suffering, I pray that you would give them a hope. God, that you would help them to do the things that they need to do to get out of the bondage that they're in. That they would realize it's okay for them to cry out and to groan to you. But it's also okay that you're, you may not relieve that suffering right now. It may be another moment. And God, I pray that they would rely on you in that time of suffering, in that time of desperation. Because we know that you're there for those of us who are weary. You are there for those of us who have been beat down. You are there for those of us who are suffering. And God, we thank you for that. Cynthia is going to play and sing this song. And just in the quietness of this room, as she does, as she prays this as a prayer over each one of us in this room, I'm just going to ask you to be reminded of that area that you're suffering in, that you're struggling in, and Allow these words that you hear, allow this song and God's Holy Spirit to use it to realize that there is a day of hope that is coming.
God will surely come. He will come and save you. Say to those who are broken your faith the Lord your God is strong and with his loving arms when you call on his name oh yeah he will come and save he will come and save you he will come and save He'll save you, say to the weary, your God will surely come, cause he will come and save, he'll save you, he will come and save, save you, lift up your eyes to him, you will arise again, he will come. Save you, lift up your eyes to him, you will arise again, he will come and save you. He will come and save, he will come and save. day in the midst of the storms of depression and despair and of hurt and of anger and of fear and of failure God that you will come and save you did come to save and God we rest as a people in that promise in our own darkest days. If you're in here today with every head bowed and every eye closed, and you'd say, Todd, I, I, I have an issue that is a dark cloud over me. And I'd just like for you to pray for me. Just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment. Just hold it up, okay? No need to be afraid of that. Okay, hold it up. Keep it up for a moment. Just keep it up for a moment. Keep it up for a moment. God, I just pray for those who have their hands held high right now. God, I pray that you would be the God of hope. God, when we can't hope in each other, when we can't hope in anything else, when we can't hope on others, even those who we think we can hope on, God, I pray for those whose hands are raised right now. God, and I pray for those who say, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling. God, I pray that you would be the one who brings them some satisfaction in their life. There is a new day coming. 
And God, I pray that you would journey with them through the unknown, through the fear, and through the darkness, God, just like you did with that nation of Israel and just like you did with all of humanity. God, I pray that you would walk with them every step of the way because you are a God who saves. Sing it out. Can't stop no morning, God, and that we can't do anything to separate ourselves from it, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we experience. Let us walk in that promise and that victory this week. In Jesus' name, amen. We're so glad that you've chosen to be a part of our worship experience today. If you're a part of our church family or you regularly attend here, just want to encourage you today on your way out to make sure you give on your app or drop by one of our giving stations. Just give God back a portion of what he's blessed you with this week. Um, and just continue to give and, and support what God's doing here in the life of our church. We're so thankful for those of you that give and the blessing of giving, as many of us know what it is to be able to give. It's an awesome privilege. So just want to remind you about Passion Week. All the details are there in your worship guide. If you want to be a part of our Passover Seder, we really need your name and information so we can follow up with you. Please see Ms. Jackie at Guest Services today to sign up for that. And we look forward to participating and celebrating Easter with you here in a couple of weeks. So thanks so much for being here. You are dismissed. Have a great day.